Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. going to read from 2 Kings 5 this morning. <laughs> Alrighty. Now Nahum was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Nahum's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Nahum went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Nahum left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I am sending my servant Nahum to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Nahum went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Nahum went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfra the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Nahum's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and and his skin became like that of a young boy. Then Nahum and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Nahum urged, he refused. I'm just going to pray for Mitch before he shares our sermon. Father, we um, thank you for this morning. We've been able to dedicate two little boys um, to you. We just ask that you would bless Mitch um, as he comes up and shares with us. We ask that you would give him your words and that he would speak what you have to share with us this morning. We ask that you would help us to rid our minds of distractions that we would be able to focus and really take away some really key points um, into this coming week. Amen. 
Thank you, Lou. It's, you have a real gift in doing announcements. There's not many people that can make announcements fun. So. As we were dedicating Tobias and Henry, we had a bit of a preacher's pick. I thought this morning we would actually unpack why do we not baptize infants? You might be wondering, why did we read from 2 Kings chapter 5? Well, we'll come to that later. But baptism, whew, what a controversy. I went to SNBC, it's an interdenominational Bible college. And so that means that you rub shoulders with Christians from all different walks of life, those that baptize infants, those like Baptists like ourselves that don't. And we often got into some heated theological discussions about it, all, all in good fun, you know, nothing that broke friendships, but it is quite divisive. I mean, in church history, people literally died for this stuff. There is a group that were known as the Anabaptists in the 15th century, and their, their modern-day equivalents, the, the Mennites. Anyway, the Anabaptists, they were rebaptizers to be, uh, to be a citizen in Europe in the 15th century, had to be baptized. And the Anabaptists said, no, 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 no. Only those that profess faith in Jesus can be baptized. So they got rebaptized, And for their belief, most of them, when they were captured by the authorities, had concrete blocks tied to their feet and were chucked into the river. Saying, hey, you want to be baptized? Have a permanent baptism. So this stuff was, has a lot of controversy in church history. But for us here at the Centre Drill, we are a Baptist church. And so the reason why we dedicate infants and why we baptize uh, believers, what we call credo-baptism, you make a creed, a profession of faith, it's because we believe baptism. It's the initiating rite for those that have entered into the new covenant. Now, for those Old Testament experts, what was the sign of the covenant given to Israel? What was the sign that every male baby boy at eight days had to do? What was it? Circumcision. Full marks. HD class. Very good. You all know Old Testament. So that was the sign given to the Israelites. Now what we believe Jesus has done, Jesus come to bring in a new covenant. Yes? He even said that. He goes, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus came to do something different. And circumcision, even in the Old Testament, it talked about it was this physical sign, yes, but there was more important circumcision, a circumcision of the heart. In a sense, that's what Jesus has come to do. He has come to circumcise people's heart to change their lives. Now, at the banks of the Jordan River, John the Baptist was baptizing people for the repentance of sin. Now, John's decision to be at the River Jordan is really significant. For those who know their Old Testament or New Testament geography, what's important about the Jordan River? Does anyone know what's significant about the Jordan River? I can hear Thomas. What's significant about it? Well, it is significant. Well, there was, there was a, an earlier Jesus, a guy called Joshua. What did he do at the Jordan River? crossed it. And do you know why he crossed the Jordan River? This is the promised land. Yeah, it was the boundary marker. So let's pretend this is the river here. So here is the wilderness. Here is the river. 
Now they're in the promised land. And John the Baptist is here baptizing people in the Jordan River as a sign of the new covenant that is to come. This is what the prophets foretold. They said one day the Spirit is going to come and they use the imagery of water. Ezekiel 36, I'm going to sprinkle you with water. Water and the Spirit were tied in closely. And John says, because, hey, I baptize you with water. But there's one who's going to come after me. He's going to baptize you not with water, but with what? The Holy Spirit. Okay. So for us, baptism is that sign of our death to old life and coming again in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And the reason why, one of the reasons why we dedicate children before the Lord is that in the new covenant, There's no such thing as a Christian family. Now, what do I mean by that, Christian family? All right, so if you're an Israelite and you have six sons and you take them to the temple and they're circumcised on the eighth day, as prescribed in the Torah, they were considered as to be part of the covenant. Now, but if you read your Old Testament, the Israelites weren't overly faithful, were they? In fact, they were more unfaithful than faithful. And they end up in exile and in judgment. And so that was one of the dangers with the old covenant, was that you could be born into an Israelite family, you could be circumcised, but don't actually have to follow Torah. But in the new covenant, it's not based on if you're a Jew or an Israelite or not. Your faith in Jesus is regardless of what background you are, what beliefs your family have. You come to faith by yourself. And that's why I mean there's no such thing as a Christian family. Uh, it's, I've heard this time and time again. Friends of mine know I had Christian parents have no faith. For many of our Catholic, Anglican, Presbyterian brothers and sisters, they see that baptism is that sign of keeping that, that, that covenant happening. Baptism is a replacement of circumcision. But I know plenty of friends born in Presbyterian families, Anglican families. They were baptized as babies, but they don't have a faith. This is why dedication for us is important. Because this commitment to realize that just because I'm a Christian, just because even me as a pastor, I've got two kids, that's no guarantee that my kids will automatically know the Bible. There is this emphasis on us as parents, as a community, to teach In Deuteronomy 11, verse 19, it says, Teach them, that's the commandments, to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie and when you get up. Or the classic proverb, and the problem with proverbs, this isn't a guarantee, it's just a a truth. Yeah, we know the expression, an apple a day keeps a doctor away. We know that that isn't literally true, but the idea is if you have good health, usually you end up being healthy. And Proverbs 22.6 says, start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn. For us as Baptists, we believe that, that, hey, our kids aren't just automatically saved. We need to teach them. We need to instruct them. We need to show them. And I love this word, we need to be authentic. I'll give a, it's a false illustration, it's made up, but I think it might resonate with some of you. Say you're in the car, mom, dad, and you've got your three kids in the back. 
and you're arguing the whole way to church. Oh, might have been about last night's dinner. Might be about money. Well, the point is, is that mum and dad are arguing there in front of their three kids. Car stops. Hop out, get into the car park, get into church. Those frowns become smiles. Hey, isn't everything great? Life is good. God is good. Church service finishes. Get back in the car. Start fighting again. What you've kind of taught there is that, and if that continues on and on, is that Christianity is just this sort of false blanket. You put on this facade. That when we go to church, we just put on our happy faces. And when we're at home, we put on our real faces. And that can be the danger. And that's the danger that all of us face. So we need to be authentic in our faith. Particularly as we're seeking to raise our kids, as we're seeking to disciple others, we need to be authentic in our faith. And so there, because we want to be authentic, we want to create, we want to see people become disciples. Therefore, baptism is significant. It's so important to us because this is the sign of the new covenant. It's not a way to get salvation. It's a way to show that we are part of God's family. And in the passage that Lucinda read for us, it's, Obviously, in the Old Testament, but I found it actually tied tooth elements in really well together. The importance of kids actually having a role in someone's salvation and what baptism actually points to. And one of the church fathers, Irenaeus of Lyons, he said, this is about Naaman, who he read in 2 Kings chapter 5. It was not for nothing that Naaman of old, when suffering leprosy, was purified upon upon his baptism but it was in um in but he was saved as uh, a way to show us how we are all lepers in sin we are made clean by going into the water by the action of the lord so even the early church recognized that yeah naaman he dipped himself the hebrew word raktus which could be translated into greek as baptizo He had a washing in the river. And they saw there was something significant. Yeah, he did this action and was cleansed of leprosy, but it pointed to something deeper. And what I love about 2 Kings chapter 5, and I'll reread it here. So this is um, 2 Kings 5 from verse 1. It says here, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great, another Hebrew word I want to teach you, gadol. Doesn't that sound good? Gadol, he's powerful. He is this powerful man. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant warrior. What an introduction. Man, this guy is huge. He's imposing. He's great. Fun fact, no non-Israelite is painted in such glowing terms. This guy is an enemy an enemy of the Israelites. If you read the rest of the context of two kings, the Israelites are always fighting the Armenians. So here is this guy Naaman, this great warrior, valiant fighter. But, but he had leprosy. 
And leprosy is not like the leprosy we know today where people lose limbs or fingers and toes. It was, it was a skin disease, but it created issues. You couldn't socialise properly. Now, what the narrative does for us, it creates attention. Okay? How is Naaman going to be cured of his leprosy? How is this valiant warrior, this great man, going to overcome this hurdle? And they were introduced to this minor character, but who has such a significant role. A girl that would have had a very, very hard life. And we're told here in verse 2, Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. As all this little girl says in this whole narrative, she said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. The ultimate contrast, Naaman, the great valiant warrior, and this little weak Israelite slave girl. It's not even given a name. All we know is she's been captured, and there she's serving Naaman's wife. And for those who understand their Old Testament, it sets up another precedent of Israelites amongst their enemies actually showing Yahweh's glory. You think of a Joseph. He was a slave. And what do you do for Egypt? We think of Daniel. He's no one too who in captivity showing Yahweh's glory. Here we are, this little girl, saying the prophet in Israel can heal her master. And this is what's really cool about this narrative. If if you read along, we get this contrast of Naaman's power and might compared to the Israelites. We've got this little girl and we've got Elisha, who gives this really quite ridiculous sign of how he's meant to be cleansed. And if you read the rest of the narrative, it comes apparent. So Naaman goes to his master, that's the king, tells him what the little girl had said. And the king says, go. And we're told here, Naaman left, taking with him Ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. He brings all his wealth. He figures, well, if there's a prophet who can do this, I need to bring all of my worldly goods because something amazing is going to happen. It needs worldly power. And there he comes with this letter from the king saying the cure is leprosy. Now, as soon as the king of the is- Israel reads the letter, he tears his robe. It's like, am I God? How can I do this? This enemy general has come here expecting me to bring this cure. I am going to die. And then Elisha hears about this. Here's the king of Israel's torn his robes. Something terrible has happened. And he sends his message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Here we go. Here's Naaman's power. It's related again. So it says here, Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Here is this simple Israelite prophet in this house with this great general and all of his entourage there. And Elisha doesn't even have the respect to go and meet him in person. He sends out his servant. And what does his servant say to do? Go and... Wash, how many times? Seven times in the Jordan. Understandably, Naaman's furious. 
It's like, what? I, I could have just gone to the rivers back in my own country. Are they not better than the River Jordan? And then we get here another little linkage. So we've had the servant girl kick off Naaman's journey. Now it's the servants that help Naaman actually follow through. And they said to him, hey, you know, if the the prophet had said, you know, do a great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? And then we're told here, so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. Now, a number of people who are commentators, they've recognized that there is this link here. That, that Naaman's washing, it's like a proto-baptism. It's a baptism before a baptism. There wasn't anything magical about the Jordan River. Even, even dunking seven times, number seven represents perfection or complete, completion in the ancient world. So this idea of doing something, you know, fully, the, the miracle is there because of God. And what's important here is that this was an Armenian, this was an enemy of the Israelites. What they're pointing to here is that God's salvation is open for all. As the Apostle Paul said, there is no distinction between Jew or Greek in the New Covenant. Baptism, it's a physical action, a very, very simple action. If we had a baptismal tank, all it is is it just lay down and come up. That's it. It's like a bath. Um, I don't know if I told you a story, but... When my parents were baptized, I kind of read about Jesus' baptism and, you know, the voice from heaven and the dove coming down. I thought, oh, that's what every baptism is like. I thought that when my parents had come out, their face would be glowing like angels. And I was there waiting, waiting, so happy. And then dad just comes out, just covered in water. I was like, oh, that's kind of anticlimactic. I was like, oh, maybe it'll be different with my mum. Same thing, she just came out with wet hair. It was this... Really anticlimactic. I almost felt a bit like a name when I guess, oh, I was expecting this great sign. But, and this is, I guess, one of the beauty of Christianity, is that sometimes it's the simple things that reveal God's truth. Yes, baptism, it's a really simple procedure. Go in the water and come out. But it's in doing that for us, it symbolizes something so powerful. All of us, We have a disease, sin. It's like our leprosy. It clings to us, makes us defiled. It's not the waters of baptism that clean us. It's the greater baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that purifies us, that cleanses us. And so when we start making disciples and see people being baptized, that is a sign that they are now initiated into the new covenant. They are people that want to follow Jesus, to pick up their cross and follow after him each and every day. Martin Luther, he wasn't what we call a credo-baptist like us. He didn't make a creed of faith. He was what's called a paedo-baptist. He believed in baptizing babies. But Luther said something really, really profound, which I love. He says, there is on earth no greater comfort than baptism. I'll say it again. There is on earth no greater comfort than baptism. And Luther didn't say it because he believed 
Baptism was necessary for salvation. For him, he understood the symbolism behind this. That when he was tempted by sin or being spiritually attacked, he would say, I am baptized, I am baptized. Because for him, baptism was that reminder of the death, the resurrection and reign of Jesus. And that he himself had experienced a new life in Jesus. And he would use that to bring him comfort. I am baptized, I am baptized. That reminder of his salvation. That's why baptism is so important for us. This is why child dedication is so important for us and for Cole and for Julia. As you raise your family, Phoebe, Tobias and Henry, and you point them to the truth of Scripture, my prayer is that one day your children can be up here, baptised. For other families here, my prayer is that your children will one day be up here or in a river or in a pool being baptised. All of us here, even those who have not been baptised yet, my prayer is that one day you too will be up here being baptised. Not because it's for salvation, because it is that sign that I am entering into the new covenant. I have said no to my old life and yes to Jesus. Like Naaman, the the leprosy of sin is off me and the new life of Jesus is upon me. Friends, let me pray for us. Hey Lord, as we just see in your word so powerfully how you transformed Naaman, a pagan enemy Armenian, to one who found salvation in you, recognizing that Yahweh is the true God. Lord, we recognize today that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, we just thank you for this morning, for being able to dedicate Tobias and Henry, Lord. And Lord, and just pray for Jake's family, Lord, as they seek to raise their family in a way that honors you. And Lord, I extend that to all of us who are parents, grandparents, those of us that are just, who don't have kids, Lord, who are seeking to walk after you, Lord. Just recognize that we are saved by Jesus. We have been baptized by the Holy Spirit and have experienced new life in him. Perhaps like Martin Luther, those times of distress to know that we are baptized we are baptized we are covered in the blood of the lamb we are washed and our sins are washed away we are whole and new and so lord i just pray that your spirit is upon us your spirit is blessing us and protecting us and this we pray in jesus name Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.